Hi there, I'm Aaron Ironside. Welcome to Active Intelligence. As we spend the next half an hour looking at contentious issues from a variety of perspectives, this one divides our culture right down the middle. Many people consider themselves either pro-life or pro-choice. We're talking abortion today and the new abortion law in Texas on Active Intelligence. My guest today is Mary Castle. She works with Texas Values in Texas. She's one who's very happy to see the new heartbeat law that has come into effect in the state of Texas. But more on that later. Let's start here at home where the direction is entirely the opposite way. And for many, that's terrible because that means New Zealand has some of the most liberal abortion laws in the world for pro-life advocates of course many of them feel like their concerns have fallen on deaf ears although they maintain a very strong position as Gina Sunderland from the March for Life explains. We don't think it's right we don't believe that uh, a baby should be should be aborted at any stage. Let me just say, um, and I speak on behalf of family first and every pro-life person throughout this nation that the practice of abortion it's nothing less than horrific, and it has never been a health issue, nor should it ever be. Can I then step into the area of choice? We hear that word spoken so much. It's my choice. It's my body. Well, we see it a little bit differently. You know, choosing a latte or a flat white, that's a choice. Mm. The unborn child is not, it's not a choice. Gina, are you concerned a, a little bit about what you know is, is talked about right. in some jurisdictions, which is um, that oh, obviously with increase in technology, we're seeing abortions perhaps um, for sex selection, or we might be seeing instances where um, particular uh, things like I'm thinking of Down syndrome as a particular syndrome at the mm. moment, where where um, mm. there are more abortions. Um, there's statistics out about that. Are you warning us about yes. that? That that that's going to be uh, the the focus. That would be one of the areas, Alex. I mean, um, Down syndrome people um, are beautiful. They are humans. They are human beings and they have human rights. And I've got friends who have Down syndrome children. I know adults. I know adults who are Down syndrome and they they are beautiful. And so mm. what this what this policy is offering is for people to say, look, I don't feel like having this baby. It's going to ruin my life. Um, it's, um, it, has down, it has Down syndrome, so we don't want the baby. And mm. then what that means is that they can choose to have that pregnancy terminated right up to 40 weeks. Yeah. And that is horrific. Gina Sunderland from March for Life and Family First talking about how pro-life advocates are very concerned about some of the effects our liberal laws will have regarding abortion. I'm sure Gina is one who celebrated the fact that Texas has decided to restrict abortions. The heartbeat law has a very simple logic. If your life ends when your heart stops, then life begins when your heart starts and therefore that life needs to be protected. That's a thought affirmed by the governor of Texas. Our creator endowed us with the right to life and yet millions of children lose their right to life every year because of abortion. Clinics in Texas have said the law will rule out 85% of abortions and force many centres to close. 
Healthcare provider Planned Parenthood, along with civil liberties groups, took the ban to the Supreme Court on Monday, asking it to stop the law from taking effect. But the court rejected that application, allowing it to remain for now. These women are determined that this will not be the last word. When it comes to issues about their bodies, they believe they should have the final say. I'm sure you won't be surprised at all to learn that most of the coverage of this law change in Texas was negative, with the Texans being accused of going backwards to the dark ages and that this new law was unconstitutional. We'll talk more about that in a second. Uh, But it was very difficult to find pro-life advocates who were celebrating the law change. Of course, not surprisingly, when you did, they were reminding us that this wasn't just about women, but about babies. Children in incoming months will be born who otherwise may have lost their lives to abortion. Poyman says the provision that allows private citizens to file civil claims against abortion clinics and win $10,000 at a minimum will act as a deterrent. We're not interested in seeing lawsuits go forward. We're really interested in seeing babies be protected. He points to expanded state funding for pregnancy centers like this one, where pregnant women receive services and are encouraged to take pregnancies to term. Deacon Mark Fair, the chief executive of this pregnancy center, expects more women will use his center's service as a result of the new law. Right now we still have our summer clothes on display, but in a few months as it gets colder here in Texas, we'll exchange them out for winter clothes. So a reminder that this issue is about babies, but it's also about a law, an interesting law, that won't be policed by the state but by individuals who could sue abortion clinics. And that's something the Supreme Court wants to consider. Uh, Meantime, though, they've decided not to put a halt to this law, which has effectively ended around 90% of abortions. Well, there's one Supreme Court justice, though, who reckons they should have paused this law until they decide it. Right. So Justice Sotomayor agreed with the majority of the court that that it's correct for the court to take the case to hear arguments on November 1st, but she vehemently disagreed with the decision not to put the law on hold in the meantime. She basically said that Texas has already, with the court's essentially blessing, committed irreparable harm by essentially denying abortion access to most of the women in the state, access that is protected by the Constitution under current law, whatever the future might hold uh, under this court, and that, again, the Supreme Court has been a participant in blocking access uh, to abortion for most women in Texas, of course, the, the second most populous state in the country. And she said, basically, even if the court decides, look, this Texas law, you know, it won't go so far as to strike the law down in, in, in its ruling based on the November 1st argument. But even if the court clears a path to the law being invalidated, then it's still going to be too late for many women who have been prevented from exercising their constitutional right to abortion just for the two months the law has been in effect. So she was, you know, she took very strong issue with the court's refusal to block the law in the short term. I do think it's notable, though, that the other liberal justices on the court did not join those strong words. So she wasn't joined by Justice Elena Kagan or Justice Stephen Breyer or Chief Justice Roberts, all of whom believe that the court should have stepped in to block the law before it went into effect. Now, maybe it's because Justice Sotomayor's words were very strong and her colleagues didn't want to sign on to them, but maybe it's because they think there's a chance there could be a fifth vote and 
you know, to actually allow these challenges to proceed. And they are concerned about alienating colleagues. So it's possible to read Justice Sotomayor's sole dissent here as sending a signal that some of the justices' votes may be in play. You know, whether or not they're ultimately going to affirm the constitutional right to abortion, they may believe that Texas cannot be permitted to regulate a constitutional right in this way by allowing private parties basically to sue individuals for exercising constitutional rights. So the Supreme Court will be taking a look at this issue uh, November 1st. So we will watch with great interest to see what happens. Meantime, though, let's go to the US and to Texas to talk with Mary Castle, who works with Texas Values and is one of those pro-life advocates who's very pleased about the new heartbeat law. Hi, Erin. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to explain to us what's been happening in Texas. I wonder if you could set the scene for us. I, I don't think we need to go quite as far back as Roe v. Wade, but it would be nice for us to understand what the approach in Texas, your home state, has been to the issue of abortion so that we can kind of set the scene for the changes that have happened more recently. Yeah, and I know you said don't go all the way back to 1973, but it is important to note that Roe did start in Texas. Uh, the plaintiff, Roe, uh, was actually a Texas woman um, who was seeking an abortion and interestingly enough did not get one, but was a plaintiff in that case. But ever since then, Texas has been really strong on pro-life legislation. Uh, since my work at Texas Values, we've done laws like the Infant Protection Act, you know, protecting infants after they're born. We tried to limit Planned Parenthood funding, but this session, uh, we really tried to pass the Texas heartbeat law and we succeeded. And this law quite simply just says when a heartbeat is detected, the baby is protected. And we just think this is big for our state because this law, you know, even a month afterwards, and we'll get a little more into the lawsuits, it's still in effect and it's still saving lives. So we're really happy about that. But was that change a big step for Texas or a small one? Because in our part of the world, we have some of the most liberal abortion laws. So if we adopted your law, that would be a huge change for us. Yeah, you could say it was incremental. So, you know, over the years, we've passed step-by-step -step little laws, laws that kind of got at, you know, the funding of Planned Parenthood, laws that got at, you know, sex ed being knocked out of, you know, Planned Parenthood sex ed being taken out of schools and other laws that, you know, kind of moved the markers. So we did have, you know, the 20-week abortion ban already in place in Texas before this session. Um, and so we've been moving at that incremental approach. But in the pro-life movement, we're kind of ready in Texas and in the United States to actually take that step to save all lives. So that we've been incremental in past sessions in the legislature here in Texas, we just went all in with this Texas heartbeat law and said, you know, once you have that detectable heartbeat, you must do everything in your power to protect that baby's life. Well, it's a nice, simple idea, isn't it? Because essentially your life ends when your heart stops. And this law says your life begins when the heart starts. So that's nice and easy to understand. Talk to me about, though, the political process, because for many of us, when we think of pro-life advocates, we have visions of people marching. We have visions of people holding placards outside abortion clinics. Some of us will think of even terrible things happening to those who work at the clinics being bombed and all those sorts of terrible things that most extreme uh, advocates have done. What has been the approach in Texas? 
Well, the approach in Texas has been really interesting. So the way that our legislature works in Texas is that it meets every two years uh, from January until May. So you have a very short period of time to get legislation passed. And then you're not in session every year. So you have that time crunch. Of course, there's other sides besides the legislative process. Like you mentioned, there are people who are marching in favor of pro-life laws. Um, There are people praying outside of clinics, but we really do rely on the legislators to do their job. And so we had some really strong legislators. We had Senator Brian Hughes in the Texas Senate who carried uh, the Texas heartbeat bill. He's an attorney. um, So he understood very well kind of the civil mechanism within that bill. And we have Representative Shelby Slauson um, in the Texas House. So we have a bicameral house, uh, bicameral legislature. And so once it gets through the Senate, um, it has to go to the House. And, you know, of course, there was a lot of tension in the House. The way it works in Texas, sometimes uh, one party can dominate one House um, more than the other. So in the Senate, we did have a strong pro-life majority in the Senate. So even though we had a long hearing, uh, which is where you can come and testify in favor of the bill and our team, actually is involved in that process and testifying in favor of the bill. You know, it was still a pro-life majority where we could have the votes to pass it. Uh, But once it got to the other chamber, we had probably more intense hearings where you did have uh, advocates from Planned Parenthood, um, pro-abortion advocates coming and testifying against the bill. But, you know, the testimony is just to supplement people's opinion of the bill. It's not that the legislators actually take a tally and say that's our votes. So they still have, you know, their um, right to vote on the legislation they believe in on the floor. And so once it passed the Texas House, uh, after passing both chambers, it went straight to the governor's desk. So it's a process that allows the people to, you know, explain their opinion and to uh, present to the legislators their thoughts on this pro-life legislation. But we also rely on a lot of pro-life legislators to get it across the finish line. Well, that's an interesting part for me, because as I've looked back over New Zealand's history, it's been tempting always for pro-life people to think, well, when there's a left-leaning government in, we won't make any progress. But when there's a right-leaning government, we will. But in reality, it hasn't worked out that way. It hasn't seemed to matter whether or not it was a conservative or a liberal uh, group of politicians in power. It seems that what was lacking ultimately was the courage to make change. Where did the courage come from for the Texas legislators, not just to be pro-life and ideology, but then to actually make that policy? You know, I think we're reaching a turning point in Texas and the United States where People are just saying, you know, enough is enough. I think more people are becoming more pro-life and it's not just, you know, a religious majority anymore. We're seeing a lot of pro-life atheist groups coming on the rise. Um, I think people are becoming more courageous and realizing the harms of abortion, uh, not just to the unborn baby, but to women themselves and to families. There's been a lot that's been revealed about the abortion industry recently um, in Texas and the United States. Um, I think, you know, the legislators who carried this legislation, who authored it uh, in their personal lives, they're this is very personal to them to stand up for life. And they've always been pretty courageous or Senator Hughes has been pretty courageous about this issue. But I think having a solid bill 
actually helps that too. And I think having a bill that they feel won't be knocked down by the courts um, and that can actually save lives uh, gave them more confidence to put this legislation forward. So I think it's a change in times, but also when you have good legislation that you think can be enacted and actually do the work, then you can be confident about pushing it forward. When it's just an idea, and particularly as a man, it's only ever an idea because I can't be pregnant. Uh, it's easy for me because, you know, a, a life is a life. A baby uh, is a person from conception through to birth. It's never anything else. That's pretty obvious to me when it's just an idea. But then when it becomes a practical issue, even I have to take a deep breath and say, OK, I do understand at some level those who are pro-choice saying that it's not up to a law to tell a woman what happens inside of her body. And to a certain degree, at least I understand the issue, that that is problematic because we can't necessarily say to someone, well, you, you must have a baby. How do you navigate this tension between personal choice and the need to protect that baby? I guess it goes to a philosophical question of, you know, the role of government. Um, although a lot of us believe, especially in the United States and especially in Texas, in limited government, we do have laws in place to protect people from wrongs. So just like we have laws in place that are based on kind of the mosaic law of thou shalt not kill, um, you know, that's in place to make sure that we protect people, we protect their right to life. So I believe that, you know, it's more about protecting that life of that unborn child. Um, yes, we want people to have individual liberty on their personal and private choices, but that young baby doesn't really get a choice or a say um, when it's being aborted, when it's being killed. And so we feel a right to protect that life. And we think that government does, ha does have a role in protecting life um, at all stages. And so that includes the unborn. But how would you speak to that mum who says, actually, your law now says I have to have this baby and that isn't what I want to do. I mean, I can certainly hear what a quandary that moment could be. I mean, what are you going to say to that young mum? Well, I think I would ask her some questions, you know, to see where she's coming from. Um, a lot of these moms who say, uh, you know, I don't want to be forced to have a baby are really saying they don't want to be forced into motherhood or there's some other issue that they're concerned about, whether it's affording to be a parent, whether it's a broken relationship or whether it's continuing their career. And so I think maybe assuaging and getting to the heart of the problem of some of the concerns that she has and really helping her, letting her know that adoption is an option, uh, letting her know that there are resources out there for her that can teach her how to be a good parent, that could help her economically, or that can mend some brokenness in her family. I think maybe assuaging some of those concerns can help with that question of, you know, I'm being forced to do these things um, and really help, you know, go to the heart of the matter because um, sometimes it is, you know, that there's other things going on and that's what these young women are really concerned about. And we always want to be sensitive to those and help her. Of course, you and I both know that as sensible as the answer you've just given is, for some, it just simply won't be enough. They will say, it shouldn't be up to a law to tell me 
what to do with my body. And it's for that reason, of course, that whilst on the one hand, there were pro-life advocates who were celebrating that this new law was a wonderful development. And the same moment, there were those saying, this is a terrible step backwards in this issue. The issue is so divisive, so polarizing in our community on social media and personal conversation. This is one of those topics you don't want to open up. What has been the experience of seeing this change happen at this more personal relational level as people who have different points of view about this have had to deal with a change in the law? It's been really interesting here in Texas. So we have seen a lot of celebration. um, And I actually have seen on a personal level, some people say, well, maybe I was pro-choice, but maybe I'm pro-life now. Um, So you do see sometimes that uh, where the law comes first and then the public perception follows. So hopefully that'll be something that's in the future. Um, But we have seen, you know, like last weekend, I think there was a protest here in Texas, one in DC. Um, But, you know, I think, uh, you know, it's really important to, you know, think about the messaging of what we're saying about this law and that is protecting life. Um, You know, even messaging to younger people and what this means for their future, um, what this means at the basic level of justice, um, and really appealing to those type of emotions um, in people. Well, on that note, what advice would you give to someone whose personal position is very much pro-life, but members of their family, close friends, maybe would see themselves as more pro-choice? And, and this conversation does have a lot of heat and not always a lot of light in it. Well, what advice would you give to the pro-life person to speak differently about this issue in a way that might help influence and, and certainly take some of the heat out of the interaction? Yeah, I think, you know, the pro-life community could just get together and talk about how the gift of life is so special. It's something that, you know, on our own as human nature, we can't really do just by one person alone. And it's a miracle. It's a miracle to be alive. And it's something special that we can all celebrate. Um, I also think that going back to conversations uh, about sometimes people have in their childhood where they feel ashamed about maybe a pregnancy or they feel ashamed about certain things they did as a teen and just saying that you're still valuable as a person and that uh, there's no shame, but there's also a silver lining when a child comes into your life. And just going back into the importance of motherhood and the importance of fatherhood as well. And just lifting up young men too, to know that being a father is something special and it's something that can be exciting and great as well. Okay, so I've asked you for the advice on the personal. Now for the political. We have the March for Life in New Zealand. We have different groups who are lobbying to to our government, asking them to reconsider the law. But in reality, we've just adopted one of the most liberal abortion laws on the planet. So it feels to the pro-life movement in this country that their efforts have fallen on deaf ears. What advice, what hope would you give to those who are pro-life to keep advocating for the well-being and protection of that baby? I think it's very important to always get your opinion and your voice out there. 
for political strategy, I think using the media is really important. Uh, talking about these pro-life issues, keep pushing for pro-life legislation, have those hard conversations, even with legislators who don't agree with you in New Zealand. Uh, sometimes we even have to have those hard conversations, even when we have the majority. Uh, always showing up, um, you know, if there's a law in New Zealand that is more pro-choice or that is more extreme, you still need to show up to testify. Even if you think it doesn't move the needle, it's important to get your testimony and legislative record. It's important to write an op-ed on that law. Um, it's important to voice your opinion and always, always, you know, get the people involved, um, the everyday people, the moms, the dads, even the young people. We're seeing a lot of teens getting politically involved in the pro-life movement and it's really effective. And so I would say just keep showing up, uh, keep having those hard conversations, even with difficult legislators and uh, definitely pray and you can get to the finish line. Mary Castle reminding us that some things are a marathon, not a sprint. We have to hang in there. And there's no promise of getting the result that you're looking for if you're a pro-life advocate. But you have to keep plugging away because that's the only chance that things will change. And if they don't change, well, at least you'll be able to look yourself in the mirror and say you stood up for those who did not have a voice in this particular issue. That is, of course, the unborn child. And really, when it comes to abortion, I've taught my children a very simple logic, which is simply this, that if you wouldn't say to a mother who's miscarried that she didn't really lose a baby, then don't pretend that the baby growing inside of a mum considering an abortion is any less of a baby. But I understand this is a highly divisive and contentious issue and one that's bound to have you fall out with friends and family if you're not too careful. We do certainly have to find ways of talking about this issue that keep the conversation going. So I'd like to hear your part of this conversation. Have any experiences to share? Activeintelligence.nz is the website. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button and we'll send you every episode direct into your inbox. But let's finish today with some stirring words from our pro-life friends across the ditch, reminding us to keep fighting the good fight. And we'll see you next time on Active Intelligence. I want to tell you a story about a little girl called Pat. One day, Patty's world shattered when her father was found to be having an affair, and then her mother, her world changed. She found herself in foster care. Little Patty grew up to be a vulnerable young woman. She met a tall, dark, handsome stranger who promised her the whole world. So she married him. Then Patty found herself in a domestic violence relation. He hit her. And then Patty found herself pregnant. And he said, I'm not ready. I want you to have an abortion. And then Patty found herself in the front seat of a car being driven to an abortion clinic by the man who was meant to love her and protect her, churning in her stomach, about to have an abortion that she did not want. But that day, people like you had surrounded the front of that clinic and people like you were saying, women need love, not abortion, stand for life. Patty's abusive husband was not used to being out yelled. 
He was not used to being outnumbered. He had met his match. A few months later, with great joy, Paddy gave birth to her first baby girl. A baby girl who stands before you now. Time you will reap a harvest if you do not give up.